0: Welcome to Chewing the Fat Podcast, where I get to talk with interesting people on some interesting things. My name is Theo Priestley, and I am a futurist, author, and associate fellow with the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. And today's guest is someone I admire quite a bit for his sharp takes on digital transformation and change. I suspect Tom absolutely hates formal bios, judging from his LinkedIn profile, in which he describes himself as neither an influencer, thought leader, or guru, but more of someone who asks good questions and sparks debate. The best way to find about Tom is to ask his mum, but sadly I don't have her phone number and that (laughs) would be a bit creepy anyway. Welcome, Tom.
1: Thank you very much. My mum needs to stay indoors at the moment, so I will give you her phone number and you can chat for a long time. She's way too lively um, to be as old as she is. Well, that's not a bad thing in a sense, but yes, stay at home, please. You are the
0: head of futures and insight at Publicis. Yes. Um, What exactly does that mean?
1: That that's uh, probably the most commonly asked question in the world, and I should really have a a much better answer. In short, it's trying to look at how the world is changing. Uh, So let's look at technology. Let's look at the changes that are happening. Let's look at what's not changing. Let's look at what matters. Let's look at what doesn't matter. Uh, and let's try and do something about it. So let's take technology that is interesting and profound and here right now. Um, and let's understand people and how they're behaving and what they want. And let's bring all of that stuff together and help our clients make better decisions and do better stuff um, with that kind of canvas of opportunity. There we go. Fairly succinct and understandable. Uh, uh, but Very you- vague at the same time. I mean, I am aware <laughs> of the pathetic vagueness of my title. Well, that's like me. I mean, people
0: ask me what well, what is a futurist, and I come up with even more vague explanations. So yeah, you, I can't believe this actually. I had to check the back of well, the the cover of the book, but you wrote a book on digital Darwinism, and that was back in 2018 already, which is like two years ago. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the title of it was "The Survival of the Fittest in the Age of Business Disruption," and. Jesus H. Christ, have we not had a bit of business disruption just now? I mean, did you actually foresee any of that? Or or, or, or is there anything in your book that we should be aware of that, 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 that would apply in, in a situation
1: that we're living through right now? No, I, I didn't see any of this coming, and uh, there's nothing remotely helpful about my book when it comes to this stuff. I'm nothing. I'm nothing like that. Useful, all um, that intelligent. Uh, so no, I mean I think many people have predicted um, sort of pandemics or epidemics like this before. Uh, many people have made amazing films about them. So Steven Soderbergh's Contagion was an incredibly prescient and precise prediction of what the future is. But no, I didn't do anything like that. That clever
0: it's still pressing in a way, I mean you've said multiple times um on various platforms um uh, and in the discussion that the pace of change isn't as fast as we like to think it is, and yet here we are faced with something that is actually forcing us to change a lot faster than we've ever done before,
1: yeah, no' it's mean, kind of um it's slightly uh I, I'm very aware of the fact that many of the things that I was saying. Um, even two or three weeks ago, um, now seem kind of horribly out of date and really unhelpful. So I used to end quite a lot of my presentations by saying what a wonderful time it is to be alive and what a great time it is to work in our industries and how for people who are curious and robust and agile, you know, like um, our security and our future are guaranteed. And I think it's quite easy to look at that stuff right now and feel quite embarrassed by it. Two things I would say now, and it's really hard to say these things without seeming dismissive or insensitive... But we do live in an age where fear and panic and hyperbole spread incredibly quickly. And then they lead to people wanting to be even more hyperbolic and panic inducing and everything from pictures of empty shelves in stores to pictures of empty airports. And, and we seem to sort of love this narrative of life is never going to be the same before and everything is completely screwed and all of our dreams are collapsing upon us. Um, And two things to say to that, and again, I want to make sure these come across in a sensitive way, is we we are in the very early stages of this. And it is entirely possible that through things like social distancing and flattening the curve, the, in around three months' time, things are kind of back to normal. I know that seems completely unlikely, and I know that's that this could come back to haunt me. But if, if these measures work, and this is the first world war that we've ever been able to fight by staying at home and eating crisps, I'm watching TV and doing nothing, which is my kind of ward, to be honest. Um, then things could work out fine. Like There will be some industries like tourism that are going to face massive problems. There are going to be some industries like the airline industry or the hotel industry that will take years to come back. But there will be many other industries that, that could come back quite quickly. Uh, and the second thing, and this is even harder to say in a gentle way, but if we did have a kind of real-time scoreboard of other conditions, so if there was a kind of... Um, real-time dashboard of pneumonia or tuberculosis or AIDS deaths or any other deaths that we understand more, then actually those those dashboards would look very dramatic in comparison. Um, so what's really going on now is that we're facing something that we don't quite understand and we don't quite know. And I think slowly over time we'll learn more about how this virus affects people who it doesn't affect. We'll start having trials on vaccines, and it, it's kind of possible that. This becomes a fairly new normal, which is actually not that different. But saying these things right now, I feel very vulnerable for declaring such things.
0: I think these things need to be said. I mean, uh, in in some respects, uh, I was speaking with the um, MD of one of the big four last week in a particular region, and uh, he made an interesting comment, which was uh, basically around how businesses are flying really close to the wind in terms of how they manage... Manage the finances and manage the balance sheets. Yeah, and some operating models are definitely facing the wall, especially those who run with, uh, I, I guess, very sort of resource-heavy um, organizations who rely on a hundred percent utilization of their staff. Yeah, and and suddenly now their staff are sitting at home, not being utilized at all. Therefore, not are generating revenue. Therefore, potentially not being paid any longer. And and. Is it a sense that in some industries, uh, you know, tourism you mentioned just now that is going to be affected, but in some other industries, we've been almost had it a a little bit too good and we haven't really changed or evolved that much because we never really saw a need to because everything worked fine up until this point?
1: I I think that's a very good point. I think um, there are many economies that have actually not ever really known um, an economic slowdown. Like you go to a place like Australia. And I can't remember the precise number of years, but I think it might be like 20 years since they've had a recession. So we're we're kind of not used to behaving in times when things are quite tricky. And I am a kind of born optimist. So I actually think that, um, you know, the people I'm really worried about right now are kind of Uber drivers and waitresses in sort of tourism destinations and air stewardesses. Um, you know, I'm not really worried about actuarians or structural engineers or Um, the vast majority of of people's um, careers and industries that actually probably won't be affected that much or or might even be affected more by the drop in the price of oil. And I think, you know, this could be a a nice moment. It it, it may not be as dramatic as we think as well. Like, you know, I remember when the uh, global financial crisis hit in like 2008, I remember distinctly watching the TV and talking to my flatmate at the time saying, you know, life is never going to be the same again. Like, you know, we have we have raped the planet of its resources and we've been disgusting to each other and we've over leveraged ourselves and we've lent money to people that could never afford it. And we've missold mortgages to people and, you know, we're a disgusting race and life will never be like this again. And then about a year later, no one went to prison and nothing changed. And actually, until a few months ago, um, we'd actually resorted back to the very same practices again. And most of us can't really remember that that kind of uh, moment stroke recession at all because things bounce back so fast. So, you know, we, we should have an open mind to the fact that things will bounce back quite quickly. We should have an open mind to the fact that many companies that sell bums on seats Um, and sell with time and materials. like They kind of feel like they need all their staff, and they feel like all their staff should work 50, 60 hours. Um, And I would like to think that this could be a return to a situation where we employ as many people, uh, and we employ people who earn as much money, but instead of bringing incredibly stupid meetings all day long, and instead of commuting to and from the workplace unnecessarily, perhaps this can just be a time where we make healthy Profits by doing a good quality of work that comes from spending a bit more time thinking uh, and a bit more time being focused on what matters. So, you know, th- we can look at very negative predictions, but we can also feel somewhat optimistic about how things could work out if we learn from this properly.
0: One of the things I read um, I, either this morning or, or uh, yesterday was uh, SoftBank uh, basically uh, uh, backing away from their investment strategy towards WeWork as a result of the the pandemic because nobody's going into WeWork right now. Um, WeWork
1: will be the new brand. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And it it, it made me think about startups in a way that this could potentially change investment strategies in startups who are, one, again, not liquid enough to to operate, but two, have uh, an aggressive investment seeking strategy without actually having a customer acquisition strategy to match yeah and i'm just wondering whether we whether investment and vcs start to almost adjust their strategy towards something different after we emerge from this as well
1: yeah i mean i think again i want to make sure that i'm being really careful in how i come across because i don't want to seem um unsensitive towards the really difficult situations that lie ahead of a lot of people and the degree of kind of fear and uncertainty is is very real. So I don't want this to ever come across as being dismissive of, of that kind of uh, uh, cone of plausibility that lies ahead. I am aware that every company on the planet will be using the virus as an excuse to do absolutely anything. Um, and that means lots of horrible things that companies were going to do. They're now able to do uh, and to not get picked up by the press. And it will be used as an excuse for everything from destroying workers' rights to getting rid of older people to getting rid of people who um, you know, were diverse to getting people rid of people who were expensive. So there's lots of, of, of very problematic things ahead. And it will also be used as an excuse for companies that were almost zombie-like and stupid and employing the wrong people and focusing on the wrong things. Don't get me wrong, like uh, a month ago, You know, you could look at endless numbers of companies that were just incredibly stupid. Um, You could look at incredible amounts of investments, which were just spectacularly dumb um and the wonderful news is actually to some extent the real, the 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 vc economy is not the real economy like this is not like um you know problems in sort of structural parts of of the industrial complex uh, mainly speaking this is private wealth held by extremely wealthy individuals rather than people's pension funds so i'm kind of um there, there's almost like a, a sort of slight cheer to me which is that You know, now companies that employ people properly and give workers rights and now companies that have physical premises and pay tax and pay rates and now companies that have been around for 200 years... Um, and have made sensible amounts of money and treated people properly. Like they no longer have to look at these idiotic st- uh, tech companies that were losing boatloads of money, that were employing vast numbers of people to do stupid things, that were burning up the earth's resources by delivering cans of drink to people for insane amounts of money. Like now, you know, it's a bit like the kind of expression "a rising tide floats or boats. We almost get to the opposite point, which is as the tide goes out, you get to see who's wearing underwear or not. And I think um, I'm almost kind of looking forward to a return to slightly more normal economics where making profit um, is not seen as a lack of ambition, where people will stress test ideas to make sure that they make economic sense, but they also make the philosophical sense. Um, and maybe this can be a time where we can all just chill the fuck out and slow down a little bit and stop being so rampant in the pursuit of money everywhere and just start thinking, right, what does the world need? What do people need? You know, what's a good idea to to do to sort of solve those problems in a way that works for a lot of people?
0: Now, one of the constant gripes that you have when, when we're on the subject of money, actually, is that companies just don't make it easy to take your money um when you want to buy some stuff i mean why is it so hard do you think to actually get it right or or even just get it simple
1: i think we are fearful of simplicity you know it's kind of hard to use a word like we but if we think about different industries generally speaking in the marketing industries you get paid to do stuff so that means making more stuff um, so that means if you're a furniture company, then you make money by making an AR app where you get to see how big a coffee table looks in someone's living room. If you're an agency working for an airline, you get paid money to, you know, do some special flight with like a mood sensing blanket or to provide <laughs> VR headsets or to do a new thing called the, you know, wizzy wazzy airlines, like, um, guide to Rome or something. Like we, we get paid to do more. And often simplicity is about removing stuff. And you don't really get make that much money if your strategy is to not do an app or to not build an Apple Watch app or to say no to something or to reduce the number of SKUs that you sell or to actually just put an Apple Pay button on your website. You know, so I think I think that's part of the problem. And I think people don't like the idea of simplicity. You know, we like to think that we're really clever. And, you know, if we can just use the word quantum computing in a meeting, everyone's going to think that we're amazing. (laughs) So there's there's a sort of vulnerability, you know, like if I was a management consultant, I'd be shit because I'd be like, you don't need a blockchain strategy. You know, you just sell plants. Um, You know, you don't need to think about 5G. You're like a content insurance provider. You know, just have a really good customer care phone line and employ people in call centers that are local um, and get them to be really nice to people you know like i'd be an awful management consultant you don't think there's a market for being told the truth then well um i think there's 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 enough of a market that i'll probably do that at some point i think the next stage in my career will be to be a sort of ultra boutique management consultant who just is like a normal person that understands how normal people behave and it just uses this it'll be called like common sense consulting and i'll just be there and i'll be like Nah, don't do that and they'll be like, if you got any data to support it, and I'll be like, yeah, it's just a fucking dumb idea. Like, that's your data. Do
0: you think we talk too much about this, you know, a sort of shiny new trends in and hyper-personalization, for example, I'll use that one, um, knowing full well that they don't actually work? Or, or Well, I guess we're in the privileged position that we know that some of these things are just fucking stupid and they don't work. But the other side of the coin is that there are people out there who literally believe every single word that is Printed on TechCrunch or read in a, a Gartner Magic Quadrant. Uh, I guess most of us are aware that when you buy something from Amazon, for example, like a, a toilet seat or a or, or a mattress, you're immediately recommended another toilet seat or mattress <laughs> the next day. Uh, and, and we know this stuff doesn't work, but yet yeah, every time. We see people talking about hyper-personalization and we've got the AI that can really drill down to what you want and will anticipate your need before you know you need it. And <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, and, and you know, uh, how, how the hell do we get out of that kind of sort of loop where we're all, we're all like running around like magpies picking up shiny things?
1: Well, uh, this is precisely the thing that I was talking about before when I just think we can employ the same number of people and just do a little bit less work. Because when you start saying no to stuff um, and you prioritise, then magically all this stuff starts to disappear. Um, if I'm really honest, I don't I don't really understand how this stuff has sort of happened. I think um, I'd like to think, and I might be wrong, but I'd like to think that broadly speaking, the whole world's industrial complex kind of ignored the internet for a really long time, and then we kind of ignored the mobile phone, uh, and then we kind of ignored... Um, you know, the potential for quite basic macros that can automate a lot of Excel work. Um, And then it kind of hit people that they were missing out and they got kind of jealous of the Ubers and the Airbnbs and the Amazons of the world. Um, And then there was this sense that in order to kind of catch up, that they need to show to the world that they get it. So there's almost been this sort of fear of missing out response where, Somehow if you don't have a kind of team that calls themselves the AI team and somehow if you go to a conference and you don't say we're trying to have one-on-one conversations with our customers and customers want to talk to brands and content marketing is king uh, and social media will change our business forever. There's a feeling that if you don't say stuff like that, Not that the world will think, wow, this is an enlightened individual that understands all this stuff and has decided with a robust strategy to not do it. I think people are fearful that everyone's just going to think that they're just like all the other people who didn't get it and they're ignorant to it. So I think we're kind of entering this sort of showboating stage of technology where one, we feel vulnerable if we're not looking into it. And two, we want to broadcast the world that we get it. And maybe... I can't even call it like post-digital because it's a bit like post-modernism. Maybe we'll we'll get to a point where we're kind of comfortable with what this technology means and we'll be comfortable with the implications of this stuff, and we'll be very aware of this whole sort of tapestry of technology and the implications of all this stuff. And in that world of complete awareness rather than ignorance, we can look through it. And, and sort of prioritize. And we can prioritize based on what really solves customers' problems, what is extremely profitable. Uh, and we'll realize in that kind of post-digital period that it's not right to be incredibly wasteful with everything. And if you're a TV company and you've um, got an incredibly expensive 8K TV, then actually you do need to do quite a lot of targeting. But we'll we'll learn that the goal of personalization was incredibly stupid. And actually the goal of avoiding irrelevance was better. Um, We'll learn that there are some scenarios where people want one on one contact. Like I would quite like my airline to know everything about me. I'd quite like it to remember everything about me. Um, And we'll realize that that's not appropriate for all brands. I think we probably need a period of about two years of a bit more slowness and thought and less paranoia. Uh, And in that time, we'll kind of come to grips with all this stuff.
0: No, that's if we have any airlines left. Um, touching on on one of those points, uh, you've mentioned brand a couple of times, and I spoke with uh, another guy that we both sort of um, follow and interact with, JP.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, your, um, what's your take on brands who claim to have purpose? I mean, is it all just a pile of wank, or, or, or do some of them actually have something that we can get behind and engage on a one-to-one kind of basis?
1: Yeah, so this is one of these conversations I get quite irritated by. Um, <laughs> and the main reason is because we are incredibly stupid as an industry. I mean, like you don't go into medicine and find out that, you know, some people mean bacteria and other people need viruses, but it's a bit complex or you don't work in structure and engineering and not understand the difference between like an I-beam and a U-beam, you know, because they're all just called beams. So when we talk about purpose there are two incredibly different things that people merge together into one argument. So one is a purpose meaning some sort of CSR type lofty human societal thing where you know we get shoes to people or we um, help people in Africa get water. Like that that's a kind of brand purpose in the kind of green sense. And the other is a purpose is in, like, what the fuck is everyone doing? Like, why do we come to work? And that's more like a kind of mission. Um, and I have incredibly fixed and firm views on this. And unlike most things that I think this is something that I am really, really uh, together on believing, and I, I'm kind of not open to that much uh, wavering on this, like every company needs to have a sense of purpose. Like every company needs to know why it exists that doesn't need to be like a poem that doesn't need to be a kind of long statement and it might be quite boring like maybe your purpose as a company is to make really trendy shoes like maybe your your purpose as a company is to make fucking amazing mouthwash or maybe your purpose as a company is to get people to be more healthy or to um, give people financial security like it doesn't have to be sort of long and poetic and fit on a kind of mood board it can be quite prosaic and that's internal like that's the reason why People, um, you know, it might be the reason why people join a place, but it'll certainly be a kind of a, a, an alignment principle which allows people to know what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but that doesn't really need to be external. Like, I don't look down the toothpaste aisle and think, oh, wow, you know, Aquafresh really believes in the power of three colors. Like, it might sort of end up manifesting itself in products like it does with Apple or like it does with Nike, but it's not a customer facing thing. Um, So, yeah, every company needs to have a purpose like that, but it needs to be internal more than external. And when it comes to this green stuff, um, the the, the reality is that no one really has time for this stuff. Like, I I don't think that people go down the stores of a Tesco and they kind of weigh up the goodness that, um, you know, Purcell has done relative to the goodness that Aerial Automatic has done. Like there, It would be wonderful if the world was full of companies that out of the goodness of their heart did things um, that were good for the world. It'd be great if companies cut down on packaging. It'd be great if companies treat their workforce better. Uh, and you know, we, we should look to make sure that every company starts behaving better. Um, but I think it's unrealistic to expect that every company comes like a Patagonia or that every company looks like tom shoes and actually the list kind of ends there i mean like adidas is doing stuff to do with recycled plastic but not in huge sums um you know like i think we we kind of lie about the sense that we can expect companies to act in wholly good ways because i just don't really think that people care that much to be honest
0: you come up with some ideas yourself um and quite a few times especially when I, i browse what's happening on linkedin um, around improving some aspect of y- your life at, at, at that stage, or, or life in general, and, and the ideas seem pretty solid. And put them out there, almost open source the idea for someone else to take away and run. And I'm just wondering: there's two things. One is ever has anyone actually taken up the idea <laughs> and, and, and run with it, or do they still try and flog you a web development? <laughs> um, and, the, and the second one is: is there anyone that you would actually feel that you would want to keep for yourself? so you could actually build something from it ah uh, that's a very good question
1: uh i put out ideas all day long and i kind of do so because it's a bit like diarrhea for me like it's not <laughs> uh like it's not some sort of strategy um it's just that i kind of can't keep them in me uh, I mean, they may be crap ideas. Like maybe maybe there's a good reason why these things aren't done. Um, like instinctively, they feel like quite good ideas. I'm about to share about 30 of them or 23 of them or something. I've, I've produced a big deck. I'm doing this thing called Declaring Bankruptcy. Uh, and it comes from this idea that a while ago, I think it was Russell Davies talked about email bankruptcy, where you basically just delete every email and you just say, I can't really cope with this. If it's that important, it'll come back. And for me, I've had all these ideas that brewing for a really long time, and I'd quite like the world to see them, and I'd like people to do something with them. Uh, I think I might hold back one, but no, I mean, like, I'm, uh, I'm kind of aware that it's more important for these ideas to be looked at, and then for people to write back and say they're awful, and I should really seek sort of medical help, um, or to come back and say, look, these are really good ideas you know, hopefully some people will do something with them. But I don't need to really make money from them. I don't really need to get famous from them. I'd just quite like to see them happen. So if there was one piece of technology that exists
0: today that you wish you had invented, what would it have been?
1: Uh, I'd almost rather focus on things that haven't been invented yet. I, I, I get really angry with the VC marketplace because it invests in so many incredibly stupid ideas and so many ideas which show no imagination whatsoever. You know, it's like the kind of, uh, you know, like it's like one of those websites that just kind of combines phrases to produce random sentences. You know, it's something to do with direct-to-consumer. It's something to do with monthly subscription. It's something to do with um, some CSR, corp, you know, like an uh, idea. Um, so I kind of like to focus on on things that haven't been made yet. I, I think a lot about architecture and I think a lot about the fact that everyone lives in really, really, really ugly homes that makes them unhappy. And I look down the street, especially in the UK, to be honest, and I see all these dwellings. And I think, how is it that the thing that, has the greatest opportunity to provide us with an incredible quality of life and incredible happiness. Like how is it that we've ended up with something that looks so awful and makes us feel so awful? And even in the way that that kind of cities and towns are created. Um, so I, I I kind of um, I have this wild imagination where I just think, you know, what would happen if we all lived in, in in dwellings with slightly larger windows that, you know, were kind of not built with the car as the most important thing and we're actually kind of constructed in quite a human scale. And then we could have more kind of communal facilities that people could share. You know, what would villages look like if they had something at the center, which was a sort of healthcare center combined with a library, combined with a store, combined with a post office, um, combined with a kind of we work type place? You know, what would what would society feel like that way? Um, so I'm I kind of, I'm, I'm keen to focus on what we can do rather than what we have done. But that makes me realise that I love e scooters. So to actually answer your question, I think I wish I'd invented the e scooter because I think they're incredible.
0: Oh no! That I was about to ask you what one piece of technology you would like to erase for all time. probably <laughs> totally say for me, e scooters is, is on top of my list.
1: I know. I know this is kind of controversial, and I'm 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 kind of, I'm kind of aware that. Uh, Here's the deal. You see pictures of them. You see pictures of them in the street and everyone's like, oh, look at this. Like, look how ugly they are. They're strewn across everywhere. And in the background to the same picture, you'll see a fucking car. Like, why? And it's only okay that we have nine, like, one ton, like, child-killing, petrol-guzzling, fume-generated, lead sort of spreading cars in the background. And they're fine because we we know them. And, like, we've kind of built streets for them and we've created a whole architecture and infrastructure around them but because this like insurgent e-scooter that's tiny that helps everyone get around that means that children can go and see their friends like because that's new that's the bad thing um so yeah we need to like work a little bit on parking them a little bit better but this idea that somehow they're like evil i find i find that really puzzling to me
0: All right. But so what is the, what is the piece of tech that you you wish you could erase? Everything in the smart home.
1: Every, I, I've now it's my job to understand technology. So I have to buy this stuff. And I think once every two years I'll go and I'll buy like the latest form of of smart home stuff. So it'll be some plug and it'll be um, like something to control my air conditioner and it'll be a sort of curtain rail with a motor. Um, And you know, every two years I must've spent maybe $1,000 and then I've spent what would amount to about $10,000 in consulting time, um, trying to get the fucking thing to work. And it, it never works. Like it it doesn't even work for like a day. Like I'll, I'll do this and it won't really work even on hour one. But within about a day, I'm downloading firmware. I'm like downloading security patches. I'm trying to change the name of my living room to lounge so that it can hear me. Like, it's all a complete waste of time. And it's incredibly stupid as well. Like, this idea that it's better to say, Alexa, turn on the living room light, to to think that somehow that's better than a fucking light switch. I mean, like, if all we'd ever known was this new stuff, and someone created like a remote control for the TV and then someone else created the the light switch, you know, it'd be this amazing new thing that would save us time and effort.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember when we first started doing a, well, when we first actually created a, a podcast experiment once, and we called it argument clinic and we ended up agreeing on everything because tech was shit and dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I have to agree with you on the, on the smart home. I mean, I, I'm I'm the same situation where um, it's it's almost my job to to be informed and play around with all these things, yeah. and I have switched off practically everything um, in the house because it, it is incredibly dumb. It doesn't actually save any time. No, um, and it's it really sort of irks me when to the average person they buy an object like this, and yet they're expected to know how to update firmware and continually. Play around with settings to make it work, and move objects out of the way because the light bulb can't see the the, <laughs> the thing that sends a signal to it, and stuff like that. And, and 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 it's all supposed to be, you know, it's supposed, to, you know, you plug it in and it works, and and they don't, and it doesn't save time, and you know, like you say, it's all useless stuff.
1: I do, I do think there is a um, like what we kind of need is an Apple-esque company that that makes sense of it, and they construct a, a kind of solution based um product so if it was such that i could walk out of my door and my door would automatically lock and it would automatically kind of register somewhere register somewhere that it's locked and then all of my lights would turn off to save energy like those kind of situations where you don't have to think about it like i i kind of see merit in that like this idea that you know, things start to anticipate your actions and help you. Like there, There is something in that, but we're so far away from it. Uh, I think voice is another one of those things where the reality is that voice just doesn't work at all. Um, like it's a terrible way to do most things other than to set your alarm clock. And again, like the entire world's information could actually be, um, reconfigured in a way where it could be vo- voice searchable, so I could, in theory, say, "Hello Google, what time does my nearest CVS close tonight?" And in theory, it could give me the answer, um, but it doesn't at all.
0: I was really worried you were going to wake up my phone just then with that. Command. I was thinking, that I was
1: looking at my little, my, my little <laughs> Google thing. Like, None of this stuff works at all. Like, why didn't you hear me then? Hello Google, <laughs> what time does the local CVS open? It doesn't work. What's the matter with this stuff?
0: Now that's that's this leads me to a question, which is a personal note, actually. So we first met, although we don't we've get personal, so don't get personal. I hate. Oh, no, no,
1: no. <laughs> this is a very professional podcast, Theo. I'm supposed <laughs> to. It's very important to maintain an allure of uh, an appearance of professionalism. Yeah,
0: Well, I'll keep it professional then with this crew. <laughs> Over now, it. now we uh, now we met in uh, Peru for the first time. Yes. Um, Match you
1: Tinder dating yeah. pics. I remember that. Yeah,
0: you watched my talk, and then you you came to. Well, you you sent me a message afterwards saying that you didn't understand why I left the audience with such a bleak picture of the future, and I could have jazzed it up a bit. And and it kind of sort of made me think a lot about my own sort of personal style. Um, but do you think that looking at the, our, our previous conversation just now about how smart tech just doesn't work, um, do you think that we as speakers or speakers in general just sugarcoat too much? at conferences rather than relaying an accurate message and a bit more pragmatism
1: yeah i mean uh, first and foremost you were an absolutely fantastic speaker and i'd recommend to anyone listening that they get in touch with theo because he knows a ton of stuff um i think there was something about your scottish accent which um you know if the message is the medium like McLuhan said there's something about a kind of is it is it glaswegian is that right no, now Edinburgh, you are getting it's it's <laughs> Edinburgh. <laughs> I'm only medicine. i have only medicine. There's something about a Scottish accent from the uh, from the east coast, which is um, there's a sort of dourness that comes with it. So I think even if you were to say, "Hey, like, check out my new fabric softener. It's the best fabric softener ever." Like somehow the 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 vibe I'd get from that would be a bit more miserable than the words. <laughs> I think there is a a sign, um, I mean, you were asked to speak mainly about artificial intelligence, and I think – The reality is that the world has created these amazing tools and this incredible new system of funding and it's sort of democratized access to many things. And what it has allowed to happen is unbelievably positive in every single sense. So the internet could allow every single school child to be um, informed for the rest of their lives. And what we've actually done with it is not really used it to the best of, of um, of, of its real potential. And we tend to exist in a world where Facebook will spread rumors about vaccines and uh, we'll get shitty governments like we forgot. Um, and that doesn't mean that life isn't all better. So you, you, you can look at that and you can think, right, you know, look at all the amazing metrics that are much better. But you can also look at that and think of all the dark stuff that's happening as well. And I think, uh, you know, maybe there are times when I felt like you were focusing a bit too much on the dark stuff. Um, But to answer your question more, the the problem with speaking is that uh, most professional speakers are kind of there to be interesting and inspiring and dramatic and entertaining and not really that useful um and especially in the area of of kind of futurism so if you're a kind of team building keynote then you get to talk about how you broke your leg on mount everest and how you know to get to togetherness and a vision was what got you home uh if you're there to talk about the future like it's kind of um it's almost your job to kind of wave your hands in the air a lot like you you know you're almost um being negligent if you're not to say that the pace of change is faster than ever before um, if you don't show a picture of some drones delivering some vaccines in uh, Rwanda, then you should almost be booed off the stage. If you don't talk about nanobots crawling around your veins, then you're an idiot. So I think I think somehow we we work in an area which is more like performance art than it is consultancy. Um, and I think I'm keen personally to try and change that a little bit so we can become a little bit more realistic a little bit more focused on the now actually like i think um not that i'm giving you career advice but i think (laughs) we should almost move from being futurists to kind of nowists where we say look you know let's not look at what 5g is going to make possible let's look at what we can actually do right now with 4g and with an iphone 11.
0: Tom, you are now officially the world's first nowist.
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm changing my Twitter bio as we speak. <laughs>
0: Tom, <laughs> I've, I've absolutely loved this conversation, by the way. Yeah, no, um, brilliant. Thank, yeah. thank you very much. Carry for, on uh, I mean,
1: maybe everyone's bored by now, but you can ask me anything.
0: <laughs> Is there anyone left?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gave up after five minutes.
0: <laughs> um, Tom, where can we find out more about you?
1: uh i guess i am not like the internet i mean i think if you're that interested you can find me and if you're not then don't bother
0: all right tom look um thanks very much indeed for joining me on the podcast um you will find this podcast on spotify itunes google podcasts uh, please spread the word and subscribe i've also set up a ko-fi uh, um, website so you can uh, donate if you feel so inclined and generous to keep this podcast going thank you very much indeed and see you next time